And so us as believers come to the Lord with the same sin. I'm not saying that you're committing the same sin, but you've committed a sin and you've asked the Lord to forgive you of that sin. And you've not recommitted the sin, but you keep asking the Lord to forgive you of the same sin that you haven't been committing. And I think sometimes God looks at us and says, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. I've forgiven you. I think we have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness sometimes. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14, simply titled In Christ. The title comes from the passage itself as we find that phrase repeated identical to that or in variations throughout. It constitutes of what is believed by many as the longest verse in Scripture. The translators of the New King James have disagreed with that because here in my Bible I have three sentences in the structure. In reality, there's a variation of three somewhat themes as we focus on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, when you wrap the triunity of the Godhead all together, it is one theme. Uh, According to Webster, a sentence is a number of words constituting a complete statement. And we will find throughout our study today as we go through these verses that there's a catalyst. It's Christ, in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, in whom uh, in Christ Jesus, it's, it's phrased many different ways, but everything keeps tying back to this single figure of Christ Jesus. He not only saved us, but he said, welcome to the family, welcome to my family. We have been adopted as sons, as daughters through Jesus Christ, that we have been predestined to adoption. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. God has also accepted us, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. See that catalyst, that trigger? It keeps going back to Christ. Christ is the method. And we have in our world today people teaching that, you know, there's many ways to God that Jesus isn't the only way. That's what they'll teach. Even in the church today, they're beginning to say that There's not one way to heaven. There's many ways to God. Christ is one of those ways. But when I read my Bible, all I see is that Christ is the way. He is the path that we must take 
to God the Father. If anyone comes by any other means, they will not be saved. That we have been accepted in the beloved, but it's by the grace of God. It says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Remember, we closed last week looking at that word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That it's by His grace we have been accepted, but the grace isn't finished yet in verse 7. And we kind of move into, uh, in Christ we have redemption. I titled this portion, and I want to read verses 7 through 10 right now. But it says, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which both are in heaven and which are on earth in him. You know, I love that preposition in this whole passage because it keeps tying us back to Jesus Christ. And I just want to give people Jesus. You know, I write a lot. I'm always writing. And a lot of times I write... I will go back in and reread some of the things I need to reread, quite a bit of the things I write. I need to read them over and over again just to work on my grammar. But there's one thing that I'm always looking for besides my grammar and the mistakes that I make. A lot of times I'll write and not use the name of Jesus. And I'll say Christ, which represents Jesus. We know that. We understand that. But in our world today, you can say God and people don't have a big deal about using the name of God because they will say, well, I don't even know what God you're talking about. You know, there might be a God out there. There's no specific title or name to it. And even Christ, Christ is simply a title. It's not Jesus' name. In the uh, Hebrew, it would be Messiah. So we would say Jesus, Messiah. In the Greek, it's Jesus Christ. But when you use the name of Jesus, and oftentimes I'll delete the Christ and put Jesus in, or I'll put Christ Jesus, or I'll put Jesus Christ, because I want people to know it's in Jesus Christ, in whom I worship, that we have redemption through Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, again, it's by the riches of His grace, by the riches of His grace that we are redeemed through His blood. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That we have been redeemed. The redemption process is that of paying the ransom in full. Christ has paid everything that God has required, paid in full. Wouldn't it be wonderful to walk into the bank and you have your house payment that you'll be paying for the next 30 or 40 years and Walk in and say, you know what, I'm just here to my monthly payment. And they give you a piece of paper and said, you know what, somebody already paid that for you. And it's stamped, paid in full. Now, you guys would probably do a little dance, wouldn't you? Paid in full. As far as our redemption is concerned. We think about salvation. We wonder how Christ could ever redeem someone like me or someone like you. I'm not... You know, you figure it out for yourself. But we think about those things and say, how could you do that? And through Christ Jesus, God says, paid in full. It's done. It's by the glory of my grace that I have redeemed you. 
You've been freed from the ransom of sin. The price has been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, he says, Knowing that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Not only have we been redeemed, but we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven. You know, it's hard for us to accept some of these things that the Lord has written concerning our salvation. But I really love this passage talking about our sins, talking about the forgiveness that we have. And when Paul wrote it in Colossians, he wrote it this way in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you being dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made life together in him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that is against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That handwriting of requirements against us, we could simply say the Ten Commandments, that God has through Christ Jesus, he has taken those Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before you. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not murder. And that's just a few of them. But he's taking those requirements of those, all those thou shalt nots that we have failed in. And he's nailed them to the cross. It's done. We've been redeemed, paid in full through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only has redeemed us, but... It's according to his grace. The end of verse 7, verse 8, it says, According to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. The riches and the wisdom and prudence of God, the riches of God's grace, it's abounding toward us. It's unmeasurable, the riches of his grace. I like this from the Believer's Bible Commentary. It says this, If we could measure the riches of God's grace then we can measure how fully he has forgiven us. His grace is infinite, and so is his forgiveness. So think about the vastness of God's grace, his willing and ability to forgive is, we could say, even less than what his grace is over us. He is able to forgive us of all our sins. In Hebrews ten seventeen, he says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God can do something that we can't do. He can forget. My mom once, there was the head deacon at my dad's church. I was in my early 20s, and he got mad at me and made a big scene on one Sunday morning, and, and it was a mess. It was really ugly, and it shouldn't have been handled the way it was handled, and it became very public on a Sunday morning. And You don't want to, trust me, church, you don't want to make things very public on a Sunday morning. It just gets messy. And it didn't have to be that way. And it could have been handled on Sunday afternoon or on a Monday, but not on a Sunday morning. And after all of that, this is one thing I remember my mom saying. I'll forgive him, but I'll never forget it. I think she did forget. Because they became best of friends. My mom and his wife and my dad and this man, they were best of friends, you know, until their deaths. But... So often, we say that, don't we? I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget it. But God 
can forgive and forget. Now, think about this because I think we have a problem understanding this because it's something that we can't do. So we try to place our thought processes on a holy and infinite God who says, I will remember no more. And so us as believers come to the Lord with the same sin. I'm not saying that you're committing the same sin, but you've committed a sin and you've asked the Lord to forgive you of that sin and you've not recommitted the sin, but you keep asking the Lord to forgive you of the same sin that you haven't been committing. And I think sometimes God looks at us and says, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. I've forgiven you. I think we have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness sometimes. He has, in the riches of his grace, his grace abounding toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He remembers our sin no more. Through Christ Jesus, we also have redemption, and it reveals the mystery of God's will to us. In verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. I like that phrase, good pleasure, my pleasure. It's been repeated twice here. But it's the mystery of his will, and it's a mystery not thinking a mystery that can't be figured out. In biblical terms, a mystery is simply this, something that has not yet been revealed, and now it's been revealed. In a sense, it's a mystery no more, because God has revealed it to us. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. The triunity of the Godhead. They didn't counsel with angels. They didn't counsel with any mankind. No powers, no principalities on the earth or in the heavenly realms concerning our salvation. The knowledge of the mystery of God's will has come to us according to his good pleasure. The Godhead had purposed it to be so. The plan of our salvation, purposed by God, not a reinvention because Adam messed it up, but before the foundations of the world, he has chose us and predestined us and accepted us in the beloved. Everything's triggering on Christ. And then in verse 10, in Christ, we are the redeemed ones. It says in verse 10, in that dispensation of the fullness of times, that he might gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. So there's momentum. There's a purpose here. Dispensation is a a period of time. There have been seven that has been deemed throughout history. Here are the seven that the theologians give us. That there is the age of innocence from creation to the fall. There is the age of consciousness from Adam to the flood. There is the age of human government from the covenant of Noah to Abraham, then the age of promise from Abraham to Moses, the law. We have the age of law, the giving of the law to the death of Jesus Christ. We have the age of grace. That's where we're at right now. From the age of grace, from the death and resurrection of Christ to his second coming, and then the kingdom age, the establishment of God's kingdom on earth, there what is called the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Seven dispensations throughout the history of the world, but everything's kind of moving toward that in Christ, moving toward that kingdom age, moving toward that time. Pastor Chuck put it this way, so that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, 
when it all comes together in that glorious day when we stand before the throne of God, complete in Christ Jesus, with the whole body of the church and the redeemed and all that will be there in Christ, that he will be all and in all, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him every knee shall bow. That it's all moving toward that time where we stand before the Lord in Christ Jesus. We also notice that we have obtained of inheritance. Verses 11 and 12, it says, In whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verses 13 and 14, I'll finish it off. In him also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is in the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We have obtained an inheritance. Yeah, I've been thinking about inheritance. There's a proverb that says a good father or parent will leave an inheritance to his children and to his children's children. Now, I've been thinking about that because I'm a father and I'm a grandfather. And I'm thinking, what am I leaving my children? And there's a lot of things that we can leave our children. I hope part of that inheritance is the faith that I've had in Jesus Christ. And I have seen that my children and their wives, husbands, spouses, I only have two, so it's one son-in-law, one daughter-in-law, one son, one daughter, but they're believers. And part of that is John and Melissa is the work that Lily and I had in their lives and others and through the churches that we went through. But then there's babies that have come. What are we leaving? What kind of heritage are we leaving? Faith in Jesus Christ is a great heritage. Since I'm getting older, I'm thinking about an inheritance. What am I leaving my children? We have been left such a great inheritance from our Lord. We've been predestined, as we'd learned, according to the purpose of God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God had planned this all out before the creation or the foundation of the earth. That we, verse 12, who first trusted in Christ, that we there speaks about the Jews who first believed. Do you realize, church, that the first believers in Jesus Christ were not non-Jewish people. They were Jews who first believed in Jesus. I think we forget that today, that the church began in Israel. It began in Jerusalem. And the first believers were all Jewish. And then the Samaritans came into play, those who were half Jew and half Gentiles. And then the Gentiles were saved. Now, he addresses the Jews in verse 12. We who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. But he addresses the Gentiles in verse 13. For many of us, that's where we fall into place. Some of us, you fall into the Jewish category or, or the Samaritan, like half Jew, half Gentile category. But in verse 13, in him you, speaking of the Gentiles, also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, in Christ, also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
what's a seal? What's a seal? When something's sealed, you know, that word speaks about and not only just a stamp. We think about that seal in, in the days of the Bible as they were writing those things. And we, and we don't do it this way. We have other methods. Today, our method might be if it's going to be something of great authority, you might have to get a notary of public to stamp their seal upon it. Hey, this letter's important. You just can't sign it by yourself. You need someone else to witness your signature and to put their seal upon it. In the Bible days, the heads of households, the fathers would have a ring. And that ring would have the family crest. And upon that family crest, they could take wax and they could seal an item. When they would ship things, uh, they didn't have all the tracking methods that we would have. They'd crate it up in a box. They'd put that wax seal on there. And nobody was to touch it until it got to the port that it belonged to. It had been sealed. And church, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, who is our guaranteed, it's a Greek word that means the down payment of our inheritance. So I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I have a down payment. And the down payment is the sealing of the Spirit of God, who is upon us, who is in us. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. He is the guaranteed of our inheritance to the praise of God's glory. Church, we have so much of the blessings of God being bestowed upon us in this passage. As a result of that, we should go right back to the beginning of verse 3 and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have reason to bless God today. We have reason to sing praise to Him. But just in closing, here's a few things that I wrote down concerning our passage today. I'm just going to read it to you. What a blessed outpouring from God. His grace has been provided in a way to redeem us back to himself. He has chosen us. He has predestined us. He has accepted us. In Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed and forgiven. By God's grace, we have been adopted into the family of God. We have become one in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And finally, we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of promise. We have been sealed with the Spirit who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we stand with the Lord and see Him face to face. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. So often I don't feel that in my flesh that I live up to everything that I read about that God has blessed us with in this passage. And you know what? I don't. In my flesh, I can't. But realize the gift of salvation is beyond ourselves. It is a gift that has come to us through Christ Jesus. It is in Christ. It is in Him. It is in the Beloved. It is in Christ Jesus our Lord that we have been redeemed and that we have been accepted and that we have the gift of salvation afforded to us. Now, today in this church, we could still have people in two different camps. There still could be some of you who are in Adam. And if you're in Adam, you're in death. Because Adam sinned along with his wife Eve, and God said to Adam, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam's transgression led to death. And that has been our inheritance from Adam. Our inheritance from Adam is death. But our inheritance to the second Adam, to Jesus Christ, 
is life everlasting? And I want to close by asking this question. Are you today still in Adam? Are you today in Christ? What camp are you in? In Adam, there's death. In Christ, there is life ever after. Happily ever after. Storybook ending. Well, the story, it's his story. And the book is the Bible. And I'll stand upon what the Lord has written of himself. I may not understand every area of my election or my predestination, my acceptance, but all I know is that I've asked Christ to be the Savior of my life. And in Christ, all the blessings that we read about today in this passage has been afforded to us if you are in Christ. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you. In your word, Lord, we have been blessed by the passage from Ephesians. And I pray, Lord, now, if there are those who are still in Adam and they would like to give their heart to you this morning, that you'd work in their lives even now as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let